0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Don't you love this robber, robber of graves? He is indeed a robber of graves. I was uh, at a funeral of a friend of mine who was a 20 year old man who died in a motorbike accident uh, in Sri Lanka and we flew across to be at his funeral and uh, the family had him paraded in this house and there he was lying beautifully made up in his suit, better than I'd ever seen him, but lifeless. And uh, I was so moved. I was so moved looking at this man who had died, a friend, and I felt compelled to pray for him. At his funeral. It was probably a bit silly. But I went up and prayed for him. And everybody looked at me very oddly. I thought, who is this man coming to pray for a man who's been dead for three days? But I remember the robber of graves. And I prayed for him. And I prayed for him for 25 minutes. And just continued to pray. I said, God, if this is your will, this is what you command us to do. Would you raise this man from the dead? And I hadn't had an opportunity to pray for him before that. He did not raise from the dead. But something strange happened because the next day, 22 of his Buddhist friends asked, what was that man doing yesterday? And his father said he was praying for my son to be raised from the dead. They said, how's the apostle? He said, because there's a man who robbed death. And 22 Buddhist men gave their lives to Jesus the next day. And so I would love to have told you a story where my friend Frank rose from the dead. But let me tell you, there was one who rose from the dead, and his name is Jesus. I stood in his grave last year. I went to Jerusalem, and I stood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, I actually stood in the, 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 the grave of Jesus. Right there by the Golgotha. Golgotha really does look like a skull. It's, a, it's, it's this mountain. And, then, and, and what they would do, the Romans would take up... And the Jews, when they, but specifically the Romans, because under Roman occupation, they'd take up the guys on top of Golgotha. And when they called them, and when they stoned them, they would throw them off the skull, off, off the mount, down Golgotha. And they'd fall down, and a Roman soldier would grab a rock, and they would crush the skull at the place of the skull to ensure the man was dead. Horrific Horrific scene. And yet on that very mountain is the place where the robber of graves died. It's the very same mountain where Isaac was offered. Where his father Abraham, the father of our faith, takes his son Isaac. And the Bible tells us so beautifully. It says, and God gave of himself. We know the story. He gave a lamb. He gave of himself. And this place, I stood in Jesus' grave and all these thoughts going with me. you see this empty tomb. And it's very impressive. There's this rock this massive rock, which was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. And in there is this carved out cave, and there's this four ton or so stone that they would roll away, and there was this gully where the stone was in. And when the stone was in place, they would have two steel rods, one on the top here, one on the top here, and one on this side, and one on this side to secure the stone in. And then they would block up this place. And then there was a garrison of soldiers that were placed to ensure that no one would come and steal him. And then you had these petrified disciples who ran away from the crucifixion scene. And yet the plausible argument was that they stole his body. Let me tell you, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that you and I could see that death has been robbed forever. My friends, this robber of graves is an entirely different Lord, than what you could perhaps ever have imagined. He's far greater. He's far more glorious. He's far more majestic. He's far more beautiful. He's far more powerful. And turn to your Bibles quickly in Romans 1. I'm just going to have a look at one or two scriptures. Romans 1, verse 16, reads like this. The heading says, The righteous shall live by faith. It says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul writing, it says, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you re- read in another translation, it says, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And some translations read from faith from first to last. Let me tell you, my friends, the only reason we can believe in the robber of graves is because he had faith first that was perfected. His faith, he went to the grave believing the Father. He went to the grave surrendering to the will of the Father, believing that he will rise up. And because he perfected faith, we can today, from faith from him, the first one with perfect faith, we could have faith by believing in him and start to walk in the same faith and the same power that he walked in. Not because of us. Not because we're special, but because he is. And because he is with perfect faith, we can respond, my goodness, what are we doing? Because faith is believing God. What is faith? And this is an amazing title for a conference, Faith Conference, but it is believing God. Hebrews 11 tells us in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It's things not yet seen. Some say to me, I'll believe. Have you heard the guys that say, I'll believe when I see Jesus. I'll believe when he comes back. Let me tell you, when he comes back, you don't need faith because you'd seen him. (laughs) It's going to be too late for faith. Let me tell you, you won't need faith in heaven. It's going to be all revealed. Faith is a substance that we have now. Faith is a substance we have now that we started walking now. Only because he's perfected it already from first to last, from faith, his faith, to our faith. And so from that place, we started to embark. And I, and I was praying, I said, God, what do, you, what do you want to speak on the first night? And I, I just felt this is a foundation for the weekend to speak about something which I call the faith of the nobodies, or the faith of unknowns. It's always you hear all these crazy stories, the hectic stories, and of course they start with Abraham, he believed God when it made no sense, he lived in Iraq, he was a pagan, yet he believed God and responded, and from that day traveled, took his whole household with him and went on a journey. Didn't know where he was going, some of us are like that, we don't know where we're going, but he believed God and he went. And so there's these great heroes, the Abrahams and the Noahs and the Moseses, David, slayed Goliath, slayed the lion, so killed the lion, killed the bear, then he slayed Goliath. But I felt like sometimes we've got to hear of the faith of the nobodies, because I don't know how many nobodies there are here, but certainly, honestly, we're nobodies. And, and I don't know, some of the things that God does, how he does it, honestly, it's got nothing to do with us, but it's got everything to do with the man who's perfected faith. And because this one is perfected faith that we can believe in, we can start to see, my goodness, and nobody can start to step into something that actually is his. I don't know who's special. Any special people here? The humility class, apart from Gabriel, for all the rest is next door. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that we fix our eyes upon. He's the one in the midst of a challenge. He's the one in the midst of a trial. He's the one, and when we're facing the mountain, we're not looking at the mountain. Our eyes are perfected. Our eyes are lifted to the and perfecter of our faith. And so that way we can, My goodness, how did I do it? Got no clue. But Jesus enabled me to do it. How did it happen? Got no clue. And so I looked at a couple of guys. Who, who are some of the nobodies in the Bible? Have you ever, have you ever read in 1 Samuel 14, turn to 1 Samuel 14, have you ever read of Jonathan and his armor bearer? You guys know that story? Some of you know that story. You can say yes or no, that's okay. It's all right to speak in church. We don't have to be silent. But there's this armor bearer who's really a nobody. We don't even know what his name is. Yet this armor bearer has such a role to play in the writing of an enemy that came to intimidate God's people. He came to shout at them. The enemy came, they came to intimidate. Doesn't the enemy always do that? He shouts, he he comes to intimidate, he comes to be overbearing, he comes to manipulate. And here's this man, and we read from 1 Samuel 14, and uh, I'll read there from verse six. And it says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. He, He knows who they are. No respect, uncircumcised men. They're not in covenant with this Jesus. They're not in covenant with this God. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Isn't that amazing? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And this armor bearer is walking next to this guy, his boss, he's his in charge. And he hears him, run. nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. My friends, faith starts with this, this realization that there is nothing that cannot, there's nothing that can stop God from doing what he wants to do. God is fully able. Yeah. Faith is believing that God is able. Not so much that you and I are able. In fact, we know we're not. But that he is. And this, this armor bearer walks with us. And we see them go up. And there's all these crazy things that start to happen. Jonathan says to him, when they call us up, then that's the sign. I'm oh, my, my goodness gracious, what sign is that? When they call us up for a fight, that means God wants to give them to us. <laughs> Two 20, I've got to crawl up a mountain, I've got all my weapons behind me, in fact, he's got all my weapons, I've got none, I've got to go on my hands and my feet, when they call us up for the vote, yay, hey! then God wants to get into us, I mean, I don't know, I, I, Jonathan, I don't know if he had a cup of tea with some herbs in or something, but <laughs> that doesn't make sense, it's quite often faith doesn't make sense. It's not about making sense for you and I. It's whether God is in this. Yeah. And God says to him, he says, Jonathan, where they call you, would you respond? He says, perhaps God is for us for this. He's a covenant person. He's, he's in this whole thing. And they go up. They take it up. It's crazy faith. Can I say faith sometimes requires action? Yeah. You can't just always talk, talk, talk. Sometimes you've got to do. And they go up on their hands and feet. And can I say, faith sometimes is not comfortable. Anybody crawled up a, a mountainside with hands and feet lately? Oh, we got faith to take this mountain. Well, actually, will you go crawl up the mountain then? You've got to go to the mountain, and you've got to sometimes act upon it. So faith has got to go into action. Somebody says faith is spelt like this, R-I-S-K. Risk. <laughs> he now met an amazing man not so many years ago, um, some of you might know him, also Ministry of the Gospel, a guy called Mike Hanschert. I said, Mike, tell me how you get more accurate. He said, Rob, the only way to get more accurate is to be more bold. He says, you've got to step out more. You've got to take more RISKs because you need to be prepared to be a, a bit of a fool and an idiot. Now, who goes to Doha to go and lead a church? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Then all he things like who goes up, when they call me to come up, I'll go, because that's the sign that God's going to give them to me. I mean, Jonathan obviously hadn't graduated from university. But he, he's prepared to say, there is something in this that is way beyond me. And, and when we see Jesus, Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus teaching, Jesus proclaiming, Jesus healing. There's a speaking, there's a declaring, and there's a doing. And faith, there is a hearing, a speaking, there's the spoken. Faith comes from hearing the word. Then there's a responding, and then there's a doing. And so we can say, let's have a faith conference, and we can do things, and we never step and do, it'll always just remain somewhere on one level. Will sound brilliant, but actually will be a little bit hollow. Yes, I'm with you, Jonathan, and as Jonathan goes, he ducks. No, he goes with them. Now the Philistines, look what the enemy does. When we take the response, it doesn't shut up. Look what the enemy does. Go further here. Jonathan 8. I oh, ask Jonathan 8. 1 Samuel 14, 7. Do all that you have in mind. Who wants to lead a church with someone like that? Do all that you have in mind, Mark. I'm with you. Do all that you have in mind. Sometimes the church is filled with people saying, yes, we are with you, but they're never with you when you're on the journey. Do you know anybody like that? All the church down the road. Not in this church. So that, that, it's raining. they didn't come. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Jesus, for every drop of rain. Can we just keep on coming? Right now. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for the rain? Thank you for the rain that's coming. Can I say there's rain coming? Thank you, Lord. It rained twice today. Huh? Come on. Faith does not mean the enemy will not shout at you. Because look what they do in verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer. When you respond in faith, you feel like an idiot, and then they still shout at you too. <laughs> yes, those acts are stupid. Do you know what they did? They went on a building program. They broke off the walls. They got money. They they responded. You know what that guy did? He prayed for a dead man at a funeral. What stupid is this? It's a funeral. The enemy shouts at you when you respond. And if you are going to listen to the enemy when he shouts at you, your faith will stay a verbal one and never an active one. My friends, you want to be in a superficial church or a supernatural church? Too much of the church is superficial. It's all here. It's all up there. Yet there's no substance to it. When we respond, the enemy will shout. Don't worry about him shouting. You know, it's not always convenient. You know what it was like crying. Honestly, there was thorns. I've been to the, Middle East. I live in the Middle East, and I've been to Israel. Those hills are full of shale. There's rocks. There's thorn bushes. There's brushes. I mean, they did not have Solomon hiking boots. They did not have the gloves of the mountain climbers. They did not have, I don't know what else they need to have, but they didn't have that. (laughs) Have you seen a Zulu warrior? I think they had something like a Zulu warrior. Maybe a bear shoe. So it wasn't even a pretty scene when he climbed up. (laughs) It was hectic. (laughs) It's not always convenient when you respond in faith. (laughs) Faith is not a convenience thing. It's not fun. It's not convenient. The enemy shouts at you. You look like an idiot. My goodness, do I really want to do this? Why do you think half the church in the world has shrunk from it? Why do you think half of the Christian world are very quiet when it comes to stepping out? Because the enemy shouts, the people laugh, they ridicule, and it's not comfortable. It's not fun. I have a friend, wonderful man. His name is Ram Ram is a short Indian man like this. Honestly, he's just more than four foot. Maybe there. Ram was a deacon. He came to Doha as a Hindu. Jesus encountered him. He got saved. got discipled. He became a deacon in the church. And Ram lives in a village just outside of a city called Varanasi. Now, Varanasi is the capital of Hinduism. It's where Shiva's temple is, it's where the Ganges comes down, and where you go and burn the bodies and they throw the ashes into the, into the river. And all the Hindus' pilgrimage, just like the Muslims would pilgrimage to Mecca, they would have a pilgrimage to Varanasi to go and celebrate and pray to the Lord of the Dead. Imagine praying to the Lord of the Dead. Are you thankful that you worship the robber of the dead? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and Ram he says, I want to go and plant a church. I said, Ram, where is it? I said, do you know where that is, Ram? He says, it's my village. <laughs> Ram is the first Christian in his village. He goes to plant a church. Now everybody's watching him. Because now he's taken a step of faith. And so what do they do? They start giggling at him. These are funny people. Him and his wife. His wife is Durga. Durga can't read. Incredibly prophetic gifting. She's, been, she's just grown. Her husband got saved. He led her to the Lord. So Ram and Durga... He's a farmer, Ram, for his own sustenance. He's got a piece of land. <laughs> and he plants all his mealies and his maize, beautiful, and rice. And so last year we have a conference in New Delhi, and Ram comes up with his wife to the conference. So, Ram, how's it going? Fabulous. Had good rain. The farm's looking good. He's brilliant. He's got some people in church. There's about 15 of them. This was at that time. Now it's more. Brilliant. He goes back the Monday from the conference. A, few, a little while later, we hear the story. When he comes home, there's this mad bull in his village. Now, in India, you don't eat beef. Not in most places, you don't eat beef. And if there's a good-looking bull, you avoid him. Because he's not just holy, but he's dangerous. Because nobody even goes, they, they revere the bulls. And so there's this mad bull in his village. And this bull roams everywhere. And where does this bull choose to roam? and roam? it comes into Rum's land. With the maize and the wheaters. And he trashes poor rums, meat, wheat, and his maize. And so he returns home, and he's all devastated. And he thinks about this thing, and he's intimidated. And he feels, and he reads, and he, and he, and he goes to his Bible, and he reads from Genesis, and it says, and God created all the animals. And he said, and he gave man the authority to rule and to reign, and even to name them. Yeah. And he says, God, if, if you chose Adam to name the animals, surely I have authority over this bull. Anybody charged any bulls lately? Gone to Pamplona? And so Ram, the little four-foot Indian, comes up to the bull. There's the bull in his land. He goes up to the bull and he says, you will no longer eat in my wheat and in my mace and in the name of Jesus, get out. The bull looks at him <laughs> and did a U-turn and walked out of his lands And he's never been back in his village. And Ram found us recently, he had a bumper crop. All the maize came up, all the wheat came up, bumper crop. The the bull is gone. Now, why do you tell us such a silly story? It must be a movie. It's not. It's a simple man who believes in a wonderful Jesus who does amazing things. That even the bulls, the mad bulls of India will turn and listen. Because the name of Jesus is all powerful. The story was ringing out in the village. And there were some people who were demon-possessed in the village. And they called the shamans and they called the Hindi guru. And because of the story, Ram and Durga became a little bit famous. And suddenly now the people were interested in this whole story. So they were going and they called the one guru and the demons would not go. Then they called the next one. And then Ram's sister, he, her son said, why did you call Ram? Now he himself is still a Hindu at that time. And so they call Ram, and he says, would you come do the deliverance of these demons? And he goes, my goodness, I've never done this. What would I do? And so Ram and Durga go, and as they go, they go, Lord Jesus, would you help? We don't know what to do. And they pray in tongues, praying, 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 and they get all the way. When they get to the lady's house, she's demon-possessed. As they open the doors, the demon and the lady together, which one? I don't know which one first, shouts and says, oh, no, not you. And the demon flees from her. He departs from the woman and she's totally delivered, and Ramadurga have not even come close to her yet. Boom. Now, the one who believes in the bulls who can leave. And the demons who will flee when you simply come. Now, such a God is the robber of graves. My friends we, we, we need to hear some of these stories because we sit in our little suburban life and we switch on the NTV or whatever, the DSTV, and see the stormers lose. They didn't win. The, the, and we all lose when shark's win, all these things. No, we just, we, we, we dumb down and our lives become very, very programmed, don't they? And we somehow dial out that this king is the robber of graves. And we go down and we hit the city bus and all these things. I, I want to say that there is more. Yeah. There is more. I tell you there's more. I've seen that there is more. This armor bearer says, I am with you. Do everything you have commanded. And I, and I want to say to you that in leading a church, if we could have a few people in the church that say, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. The enemy will shout. I'll probably look at it. But I am with you, God. Yeah. To such a church, yeah. God will make himself strong. Yeah. And these days, Are days of significance upon the earth in this city? Look at the drought around us. Can you imagine a few people just start to thank God for the rain? Just say, Father, we don't see the rain. Well, there's nothing seen. It says, Faith is an evidence not yet seen. We don't see the rain. Father, we don't, but we are know that Psalm 67 tells us that you will bless us from heaven. And why would you bless us? Because you want the nations to know that there is a great and glorious king. Now, can you imagine the rain starts to pour when it's totally unseasonal, when there's no more hope, and the rain, boom, broken. The world will have to say, gee, that didn't make sense. And the enemy will have to laugh, gee, what was that? But they will not deny that there is a great and glorious king that robs the grave. but it needs some of us to be able to respond. What about the men from Cyprus in Acts 11? Some men from Cyprus. The persecution comes against the church in Jerusalem. They scatter. Stephen is stoned dead. It's credible. Saul is coming against him. And you see the scripture in Acts 11 says, and some men men went to Cyprus and they started speaking to Greeks and to speak to Jews, and then to Greeks also, because there weren't enough Jews in Cyprus. So they started telling them about the good news of Jesus. And these men went across into Antioch. And Antioch, we know, is the place where the gospel was preached, and everything so changed that they started calling the people little Christ's. The place where people were called Christians first. And then the place where people were called Christians first. People went there, we don't even know their name, they just simply, some men from Cyprus went. The faith of nobodies takes the gospel where others don't go. The faith of nobodies takes the church into places where the enemy does not want it to go. Antioch was a place where vile, it was terrible. There was poverty, there was sickness. All these things happening in Antioch. And what did the Christians do? What, do, they, what do? what happened with the rich people, the Romans? As there was, there was all sorts of sickness going on in Antioch in a lot of those times, then what the guys would do? When the sickness would break out, the rich people would leave. And those that could have means would leave the city and leave the, 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 the sick and the lame and the dead behind. And suddenly there was a group of people who no one ran from the problem, but they ran to the problem. Because suddenly they believed in a people where, they lived in a gospel where before they touched the unclean, they were unclean. But now there was somebody who touched them that causes them to clean the unclean. And so they ran into the problem. And so some men from Cyprus went to a place in Antioch in Syria. So changed the city that they called them a new species. These people were men and now we call them little Christs. The faith of nobodies. We don't even know who they are. Advances the gospel, my friends. What about Moses' parents? Anybody know their names? If you read Hebrews 11, you'll find there. And Moses' parents. Let me read it to you. Don't even know their names. By faith, Hebrews eleven twenty-three. 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, doesn't mention their names, if you go back to Exodus 2, you can't find their names, I don't know, they're possibly Josephus, the story, maybe he knew the names, but I cannot find their names in the Bible, these guys defy the decree of Pharaoh, they stand up to the most powerful man on the earth, he's caused devastation, he's killed everywhere, what do they do, they face up to him and says, actually, we're not gonna, gonna, we're gonna keep our baby. We got, we're going to keep him, and we're going to build him a little boat, and we're going to put him in there. And, and no matter what the laws of man says, the laws of heaven says that this is a gift of the Father, and this gift, I will look at and trust God. Father, how is it going to work? I don't know, but I'll trust you, God. And they'll release Moses. And the faith of nobody parents causes a nation to come into deliverance. What can happen when the nobody start having faith? A nation is delivered. A church advances, and the gospel goes to where nobody wants to take it. My friends, this is not that what the nation needs? What about South Africa? These are the things that we need. Several years ago, we had a suicide bomber in our city. We live in an odd spot, and there's a few wars around us at the moment. We have a war to our north. We have a war to our east. We have a war to south. And so sometimes we wonder, what the, it's all a bit dodgy. And uh, there was a suicide bomber that came into the city and he blew up an expatriate theater and he went with his land cruiser, amazing providence of God. Every night he was watching this and there was a seven week show, or seven day show, seventh performance and on the last night he aimed to hit him with a suicide bomb with his land cruiser and the last night, they moved the show a half an hour earlier. And so he planned to hit them in the interval when everyone was in the coffee room, which was right by the wall. But that night, the show was moved a half an hour earlier. And so as everybody went back into the theater room, he came charging with his suicide bombing car, blast through the wall, boom, big explosion, and there was no one in the coffee room. Only one man died, and he died of a heart attack of the explosion. But it could have been devastation. So suddenly fear gripped the city and all the expatriates and all the people there wondering what's going on and threats came. Al-Qaeda made all sorts of threats. And so suddenly what happened in the church, all people, a lot of people went, oh my goodness. And the man who planted the church here and we took over, a guy called David Wallen. Perhaps one day you'll meet him, an incredible man. with his wife, Kathy. And they said, Dave, you better close the church because the church is the next target. We're gonna be hit by these suicide bombers Next. And all sorts of things are going, please close the church, at least close it for a month. Let's just check it out, what's going to happen. And if you know Dave, he's a tough Englishman of the old school sort. He was a sailor, he went to school at sea at 16. He's not, he's not namby-pamby like with some of the English guys that we'd seen. No, sorry, my kids are in English school. Doesn't matter, and I see some of it. No, no problem with the English, but, but the system sometimes. But the point is, is this, this is a tough old bullet. <laughs> he's a tough old bullet. And these guys came and he said, listen, we will not close the church because God has not said so. And everyone was complaining, all sorts of stuff, and pressure coming up. What are you going to do to make it safe? And within three hours of deciding we will not close the church, the secret police fund. Because you need to understand that we're not an official church. And so we can't be celebrated, but we are tolerated. And they phoned and they said, listen, I'm Colonel so-and-so. Do you guys as a church, do you need protection? And they're went, what? The government who doesn't celebrate us and whom we're afraid of is phoning us to ask if they can protect us. And Dave said, we'd love protection. And within a few hours that day, they placed these massive big bomb blocks all around the church. And so two things happened. A, we got protection. B, Pharaoh paid for it. The government paid for it. And C, we got the biggest advertising that you want to get in the whole city. I said, so now everybody knows there's the church with the bomb blocks. That's where you go. <laughs> but he could have very easily said, yeah, let's close the church. Yeah. When it doesn't make sense, when the enemy is shouting, when the intimidation comes, when fear wants to grip our hearts, those are the times we lift our eyes to the one we say, we lift our eyes to the hills. Where will our help come from? My friends, I, I, I don't know what mountains you're facing. I don't know what challenges you're in, but I'll tell you, when we start to believe in the one who's perfected faith, who's from faith to faith we move into, from that place, mountains and rocks and boulders start to shift, bomb blocks come and protection comes, and the best of all, the enemy pays for it. Who loves a God like that? Silver and the gold is his, my friends. Don't let finances stop you. The silver and the gold is his. The cattle on a thousand hills is his. Oh, Rob, there you go. I'm talking about prosperity. What do you mean prosperity? This king owns everything and he's my king. So there's an access that we can go into and we don't know how it works, but the king will cause the enemy to pay for things. I'm sponsored by a wonderful man. He's a Muslim man. And to be in our country, you can't be a pastor in our country if you... Don't have a job too, a sponsored job outside. And I'm just so thankful for him. I worked for him for six years, seven years. But he's now sponsored me for eight years when I don't work for him. When I preach the gospel, which he knows I do. And so I'm sponsored by a Muslim Muslim man in a Muslim country to preach the gospel of Jesus. And he pays for it. And he's a kind, kind man. Can I say to you, yeah. he's a kind, kind Amazing. Muslim man. Amazing. Can I say to you, he's like a Cornelius. Yeah. And I, I wonder if there's many Cornelius around us. Perhaps you've worked with many of the Muslim guys. Don't think that they don't know. They, they are searching. They're just not allowed to think beyond what they're told. And my testimony to him, it's a continuous, long story, but he's a credible man, and he's seen something, and he can't explain it when I told him the day I wanted to go full-time in church, and I knew I could be deported the next day. I went to him, and God had spoken to me in a letter about going full-time. And I thought, how will I explain it to him? And I sat him down, and he was in his traditional dress, which he wears. And I said to him, Mr. Hamad, which is his name, please don't interrupt me now. I'm going to tell you a story. And he sat down in his big plush office. He's a very wealthy man. And I told him the story, and I'm telling him, and I thought, I'm either on a plane tomorrow being deported, or God's going to do an extraordinary miracle. See, faith sometimes puts you right on the edge. It's not always easy. But I I had conviction that God had spoken. And I spoke and I told him the story. And when I was finished, I said, and then he said to me, are you finished now? And I thought, oh. And so I said, yes, I'm finished. And he said this, I respect somebody who wants to spend more time with God, I have no problem with this. And he signed a letter. that changed the whole thing. In fact, his partner came a few weeks later. He's sitting at the table with his partner, the one on this side and the one on that side. And as his partner reads the proposal of, of what's happening with me, he leans over to his partner like this, intimidates him and says, I have no problem with what Robert wants to do. And his partner says, well, if you don't have no problem, I'll have to approve it. And they approved the whole thing. My friends... Honestly, this Jesus is far bigger, far greater than you can ever imagine. But sometimes we have to take a bit of a risk. and Sometimes we have to move. And faith comes by hearing the word. And I tell you, when we respond in such a place, the faith of nobodies brings nations into freedom. The faith of nobodies. What about Life Changes Church? What a name for a church. Unbelievable. Life changes. You don't come in here and you stay the same as you were. Your life changes because the king says, I'm going to take you on a journey. If your life has not changed since you've been here, then I want to ask you, do you know this king? The one who robs graves. You know what the Jews did for Jesus' grave? Traditional Jews, just on the side of the entrance of his grave was a little hole in the rock and the wall. Who's ever been to Jesus' tomb? Sure, there's a few. Can you remember the little so- the hole in the wall on the right? I said to the lady, I said, what is this hole in the wall? She says, amazing. The traditional Jews believe this, that on the fourth day, the man's spirit will leave his body. And you need to make a, create a hole in the wall for him so his spirit can get out to go into heaven. And she said, so they made this hole in the wall. And what does Jesus do? On the third day, he removes the stone. <laughs> he's, not, he's not dependent on you and our plans. Yeah. Our little things, we make a little hole and escape black for Jesus. He comes and he removes the stone. Yeah. But it requires one of us, you and I, to start stepping up and starting to respond. i just got a few more. I'm just going to quickly go say them. What about Priscilla and Aquila? Yes, we know their names. You know, incredible people. You know they were refugees? They were kicked out of Rome. You know how high on the social picking order is the refugees? Any refugees here? Good. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. It's amazing how the king starts to use refugees to move his kingdom and advance him. Priscilla and Aquila, they come. They open up their home. Here comes Paul. They set a platform, they create the refugees, nobody else would, but the refugees create a platform for Jesus. The rich are all wandering, the Jews are all the religious, they're in the, they're in the synagogues. The refugees come and open them, say, come work with us, we only make tents, amazing. Do you know that at the end of the book of Romans, you read it, it's beautiful. Paul writes several times of the epistles of the New Testament. He says, and send greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And then he says this, and all the churches in Asia send greetings to them. A refugee couple created a platform for an apostle. Churches are planted throughout the whole region that all the churches heard of this refugee couple. They had nothing, but they gave him everything. So you think, you've got to have much to be able to do much. They had nothing. We planted a church in Greece amongst the Syrian refugees, the Iraqi refugees, those that are fleeing the war in Syria and Iraq. And they go through an arduous journey to arrive where they arrive in Greece. And many, many are showing Mark and Candice a picture today. We were on the island of Lesbos, and we came across a cemetery in this orchard, this olive orchard of just thousands of unmarked graves of all the refugees who had drowned and escaped, trying to escape the war, one by one. And you'll just simply see, estimate, five-year-old boy died such a day. Estimate, 20-year-old man died. Don't even have the names. It's disastrous. And so in the island, or in Athens, our friends plant a church, Elias and Vula, amongst the refugees. People like Priscilla and Aquila, they open up their homes and I've had the privilege of being there several times. And they have a man that works for them, his name is Abdul. Now, Abdul was a man in the war, and he was an army soldier fighting the insurgency against the government. And he got to a point where he had so much blood shed upon him that he had to escape. And he AWOLed. And he escaped through. He said to the guys, I'm going to get married. So they gave him one day leave to get married. And he took his chance in the one day and escaped. And he went throughout Syria, and through Turkey, and made an arduous journey across the sea and arrived depressed, lonely, devastated. His fiance still left behind in Syria, in Athens. And he fights. After he's desperate, he's depressed on the park, he's hungry. They tell him, when he's asking for help, why don't you go to this couple? Their name is Ilyas and Vula. Ilias and Vula have become so famous... That the smugglers of the refugees whom you pay, they say to you, when you arrive in Athens and you're in trouble, phone these people, they will help you. The church planters have become known to the smugglers that they will help you when nobody else will. And so Abdul arrives at Ilias Nbula's house. And it's crazy. They're you know, ministering all these people, and Abdul gets saved. This was about six months ago. Two months ago, Abdul preached his first sermon. A Muslim soldier who escaped the war, who found Christ because the refugees were given platform. And he became platform for Jesus to use. And there's this man preaching his first sermon. Guys, I, I want to say to you, when we start giving Jesus the space, when we start responding, although it seems like we get no faith, he's got perfect faith. We respond to that. God starts to do extraordinary things. Priscilla refugees I'm so thankful for the refugees they took the gospel throughout Asia you and I you and I let us look differently upon refugees when they come into the city some of them might be Priscilla's and Aquila's so many more stories Mark quoted the demon possessed man been wonderful you know he got saved then Mark 5 Preach, Jesus said to him, go and, and, he went, go and tell everybody about what happened. He goes in the Decapolis, which means 10 cities. If you go a little bit further, that's in Mark 5, when you get, let me just turn there, if you get to Mark 7, into the region of Decapolis, a chapter and a half later, then suddenly people are bringing the sick to Jesus. Where did they hear about Jesus that will heal them? Yeah. The demon-possessed man who was saved and delivered a chapter and a half earlier, went into the Decapolis and told them about this Jesus. And so when Jesus returned months later, they all heard Jesus here and they brought the sick to him. Even the demon possessed. Even the demon possessed. God turns around. We had a girl that got saved. Demons went upon her. She came to the church. Someone phoned someone she didn't know about a church, totally unsaved. She arrives, She led me to let, and another guy, Clifton, one of the elders, she starts telling him the story, and finish, I'll finish in a few minutes, guys, Make this the last one. She says, can you help me? They say, what's the story? She says, I was in my bed last night, and something came all over me, and so pushed me down, and fear came, and darkness came to the room, and I was petrified, and I lay pinned down on my bed for hours, and I phoned a friend. It doesn't sound like a game. I phoned a friend and said, where do I go? So they said, got to do a fellowship. And so she went there and she said, oh, what is it? They said, it's a church. And she went there the next day and she encountered a let. And she told them the story. And they said, well, we can pray for you. But actually, before we even pray for you, you need to know that there's one called Jesus that you need to meet. And so they gave her the gospel. That night she went home. That night she was gripped with fear again. But before the fear could overtake her, she surrendered her knees and got saved. And even what the enemy tried to bring to demons wasn't good enough because God turned the whole thing around. And now she's in Bible school in America. She's got saved, delivered, and she's led countless ones to Christ. Now I think the enemy's planned this, someone responded, and in faith resisted, and now the enemy's fleeing. Because I've got story after story. Doesn't matter. We can talk about them later in the weekend. But I want to say this. From faith to faith. Faith in Jesus turns the faith of the nobodies like you and I. Nobody special. Nobody even written about. Yeah. Some names are not even recorded. Yeah. Into incredible victories with the kingdom. Yeah. Ah, at the start of this weekend, I don't know if you've got mountains in your place. If you got resistance all over you. I don't know if the enemy is trying to intimidate you. I don't know if you've been shouted at. I don't know if your comfort is holding you back. I don't know if your lack of resources is holding you back. Our faith is not in what we can see. Our faith is in him who perfected it all. Who came and died upon a cross and who rose from the dead. My friends. And then what he does, he goes to heaven. He sits on the right hand of the throne and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit of which he pours out upon the church so that you and I would never be alone. And to such a God we put, in, put our faith and put our trust. I pray that as we enter this next season what will the city start to look like in a few years time? What will this nation start to look like now? It's a nation in a great place right now where we're full of hope, change of regime, change of things happening. It's fantastic. We love our nation. But what will it look like when the church starts to rise to a place where it starts to believe in a higher power? starts to believe in the things that are not yet seen. starts to contend for the things that cities and nations will start to change. starts to create platforms even though we've got nothing for Jesus to respond from. What will happen to this city? What will happen to this church? I'll tell you one thing will happen. You'll have to get a much bigger building. i tell you what else will happen. There'll be an area here where people say, go to that place. It'll be like my friends in the orphans. If you trouble, go to that place. There's a reputation that those people are a people of faith. Yeah. It'll be a place where they come in here and people say, I don't know what it is, but I need the king who robs the graves. I don't know how to get out no more. I don't know how to respond. That's what will happen in the city. They'll start to flock. They'll start to come, and it's not about the numbers. It's not about who comes and who doesn't come. It's about the kingdom taking hold of a city, changing the very fiber of it all. We love Cape Town. We love this nation. But we live and love our king more. And because we love our king, we say, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us today to respond in that truth and that reality to start believing in him and not what we see. Today, today, if you're faced by a mountain, I want you to stand right now. We're going to start putting our trust in a much higher reality into one whose name is Jesus. And we're going to start to respond from our heart. We're going to call out to him. And we're going to trust that the mountains, as we start to put into faith, into action, into practice. This is what he says. I tell you, mountains are going to start moving. So right now, I don't care what mountain you face, would you stand? I want to pray for you. Yes, everyone faced with mountains. I'm not talking about table mountain man. Where's Lee? Would you get on the guitar for us? Just come for us. Thank you, Jesus. Just right now, just as your eyes are closed, Father, if there's anybody here who does not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, tonight, as you come and surrender your life to this King who's the King of kings, who's the one who's not held by the grave, who's the one who's not contained by death, who's the one who's not intimidated by fear, who's the one who's not bound by sin, Who's the one who's not at all impacted by what the enemy wants to do? Who's the one who's victorious? Who's the one who's glorious? Who's the one who's the Savior, the Redeemer? Would you tonight buy your life before Jesus? If you do not know Jesus here as your Lord and Savior, just pop up your hand quickly. I want to pray for you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just right now, just where you are. Just pray there right now in your heart. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son that died on the cross for me, a sinner. I did not deserve it. But today, I receive his sacrifice for my sin. It's my salvation. I receive Jesus and what he did and accomplished for me. I receive today as my hope of salvation. And I place my hands in the hands of you, okay? Would you forgive me for my sin and save me today by the blood of your Son, Jesus? And would your Holy Spirit now come and awaken my soul and come and seal me now until the day that you return. And so, Father, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you right now, Jesus, that you're my Lord and my Savior, no longer trusting in me, but now I'm trusting in you. From today, 23rd of February, I declare Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. That's the starting place of faith.